We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. Uh, missed you all last week. We had our uh, marriage prep retreat, and uh, thanks to all who were part of that. And thanks for praying for us. Whenever I'm gone from Lords, I feel like I haven't seen you in like a month. Um, thanks, glad you feel the same way. <laughs> so, uh, so much today. Really beautiful, powerful, joyful readings today. Really quick, I want to touch on our gospel. And I want to just really briefly two things there. The first thing I w- is I want you to see Jesus's brilliance. Sometimes as Christians, it's easy for us to see his love and his mercy, his kindness, but we don't always see how brilliant Christ is. In today's one gospel where we see that the Pharisees today lay a trap. However Jesus answers the question in the gospel, he's going to be in hot water. All right, so if it, the, the woman caught in adultery, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then he's breaking the law of Moses. So if he says, no, don't do it, they can say, you're not, you can't be the Christ. You're breaking the law given by Moses. But if Jesus says, yes, go ahead and do it, we find out later in the gospel, and we know this from the first century, that the Jews are not allowed to kill anyone on their own authority. So in John 18, today we're in John 8, in John 18, when the Jews go before Pilate, they have to secure permission from the Roman authorities to carry out an act of justice like that, an act of the death penalty. And so Jesus is in a trap where whatever he answers, he's in trouble. And he cuts right through it, and he cuts right to the heart of the matter and points out their hypocrisy. I love that. The second thing, the more important thing about our gospel is this. I... We have to get this as Catholics. You and I have missed this for a, like 60 years, right? Which was 22 years before I was born. So I've been getting it wrong for a long time. We have to get this right. So simple today. The last line of our gospel, Jesus turns to the woman and he says, has anyone condemned you? She says, no. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And this is so simple. It's so easy, but we get this wrong. The, the biggest thing you and I can do to convert the next generation and to bring people to Jesus is so simple. It's so easy, but if we miss it, we lose people. The law comes after the love of God. The law comes after the love of God, not before. Is that so simple? This means yes. This means no. This is unacceptable. Right? It's so simple. Right? But what the world thinks about us as Catholics is they think we have, you have to be perfect. You have to obey every law. And once you obey every law, then the mercy of God can be for you and you can go to church like all those perfect people. And when I meet people who don't go to Lourdes, I tell them all how much you guys are all sinners, right? It's good for them to hear that. 
The gospel is not for the perfect. The gospel is for sinners. We've got to get that right. You've got to get that right with your children. Your children need to know that God's love is always there. It always goes first. And when you know how much you're loved, you want to be better. Paul says in Romans, uh, it's Romans, well, I won't look. I think it's Romans 3, 4, I want to say. But Paul says, do you not know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, so we just got to get that right. Okay, you ready for homily number two? So today what I really want to talk to you about is joy. Joy is the main theme of our readings today. Uh, It is something that is essential in the Christian life. So we all kind of know what joy is. We're going to try and dive a little deeper into what that word means today. But first, a story. So it's March Madness right now, right? My bracket has been destroyed because I don't know who's good and who's not. But when I was a kid, I was, of course, obsessed with sports. And the buffs were no good in basketball, so my team, of course, you can judge me, my team was Duke, right? And everybody hated Duke because they were always good. Uh, But I loved Duke, and I was like Bobby Hurley. If you remember him, I was going to grow up, I was going to be Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and all these guys. It was amazing. And so Duke was always doing well. And the cardinal rule for brothers is you must oppose what your brother likes. So my older brother, he didn't really have a basketball team and for college teams. So he just looked for a team that had any chance against Duke. May he be smitten, right? for his decision. No, so Sean chose Kentucky. And so we were growing up and he chose Kentucky. And he always just chose that because he wanted to see my team lose. So I, I meant to look this up this morning. I forgot to, but there was that one year, I think it was like 91, something like that. And Duke and Kentucky, right? It's in the tournament. It's down to the wire. It's an intense game. They're two of the best teams in the country. And one of the great moments in all of uh, college basketball, right, Duke's down just a little bit. And at the very end of the game, right, they throw that long pass to Christian Leitner, right, and he catches the ball right at the top. If I imitate it, I'll jump off the stage. So uh, you'd remember today's mass. <laughs> but so Christian Leitner, right, he caught that pass, remember? And time expires, and he hit, does a turnaround jump shot and hits it and wins the game as the clock expires, And my brother goes into sorrow and dejection. And I had that wonderful word, joy. (laughs) Right? That's joy. It's kind of like our kids, right? Our kids come up for the book, and they have such joy when they get that. What is joy? And and today our guide for this is going to be St. Thomas Aquinas. And Aquinas spends a fair amount of time talking about what does it mean to have joy. And so Aquinas says joy is either when you and I, when we have, there's something good and we possess it or we're in its presence. So that's kind of like when the kids get the book, right? You get the book, you were chosen, you get to carry it out. There's a joy. You're in the presence of something you love. 
That's one type. The other type Aquinas points out is he says, you can have joy when you love someone else and they have blessing. Right? So your kids or your spouse or someone you love, when you know that their life is going well, it brings you joy. So joy is the movement of the soul caused by love. And St. Thomas is really clear about that, that joy is an effect of love. Right? That's, that's what it is. Today what I want to talk with you about, brothers and sisters, is that we get so used to joy sometimes. We know our faith is good. And what I want to talk about is as a Christian God wants you to have a tremendous joy. Your life, you're going to have your ups and downs. You'll have your days that are tougher than others, your days that are better. But your life as a Christian should bear the mark of joy. So why are we talking about this today? Today, our second reading is what I want to zero in on. By the way, our our responsorial psalm today, Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. And just feel that for a second, right? The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. We don't think about that enough. Right? The woman at the well today encountered that man, or not the well, the woman caught in adultery. In love, right, I, the gospel doesn't tell us this, but it's obvious. Love is the cause of joy. And what could bring more joy, right, than the woman hearing from Jesus himself, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. What joy that must have brought in her. In our second reading today, so in Philippians. Philippians, a lot of scripture scholars will say that the main theme of Philippians is joy. And Paul's always talking about joy. It's all over the place. So one one reading we hear a lot. In in Philippians chapter 4, St. Paul says, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. How do you rejoice always? Seems unlikely, seems unreasonable, seems like that's not possible. And I know sometimes when I read Philippians and that word joy is on Paul's lips kind of constantly in this letter, I, I can be a little cynical and say, okay, Paul, well, you can have joy, but you're an apostle, whatever. Like, my life's hard. You don't know about this. One of the most amazing things about the letter to the Philippians, it's the letter of joy. St. Paul wrote it when he was in prison. love that, right? Paul is not writing from this, like, sound of music moment, right? He's not up in the hills singing in the flowers. Paul has chains around his feet. He's filled with joy. 
And he's going to tell all the Christians at Philippi that if you're going to live a Christian life, your, mar- your life is marked, it is called to be marked with that beautiful, amazing thing that we call joy. Okay, so how do we understand this? How is Paul going to say this to us? So Paul, right, he's going to contrast this. And right before we pick up our second reading today, Paul's talking about kind of what a big deal he was before he was a Christian. And he's going to talk about the things that human beings normally, the the things we look for. And one of those is status. Right? Last, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago, we had a meeting at the Presbyterate. And we did, if any parish in the diocese, we, we did best against our goal for the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal. We did better than any other parish. I'm not bragging, because uh, I was actually you all. But the CFO of the diocese, or he's actually the chief fundraiser guy, he got up and he said, well, one parish did better than any other parish, so they got the most money back from the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal. And, you know, he's like, is Father Brian Larkin around here? Right? And I'm like, Yep, Our Lady of Lords. I haven't even heard of any of your parishes. We're kind of a big deal. No, I didn't do that. I was actually horrified because if you want to create like frustrations and envy and jealousies in the priesthood, that's the way to do it. But we do that, don't we? And so Paul says, right before our second reading today, he says, if any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, right? If you've done a great job in life, you've gotten ahead, you've done the right things, you've made the right decisions, Paul is saying, that was me. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, right? Paul was a big deal. He made the right decisions. He had the right credentials. He was in that kind of upper echelon. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had all those things, right? His his resume as a Jew was impeccable. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. And I encourage you, go home today. Philippians chapter 3, just go home and read it. It's hard to hear it all at Mass. You have to have it in front of you. Go home and read Philippians 3. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, all those things, right? My, my perfect resume, everything I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul, right, he lost everything. He was willing to lose it all. And here's the secret of the Christian life. This is the secret of the Christian life. The world tells us that Christians made a hard decision And they decided to do what was right and to live in misery during this life. 
And it's a lie. You'll never meet someone who lives the Christian life. You say, why, wow, why, how do you live that so intensely? You'll never meet someone who says, well, I realized I was on my way to H-E double hockey sticks. You know, and, and I knew that like life was going to be miserable, but it was worth it so that I could have gelato someday in heaven. No real Christian ever says that. No real Christian ever says that. The story of Christian life, the story of Christian conversion, the story of St. Paul, my story, your story, everyone's story who tries to live the Christian life is that they encountered something that gave them such joy, such happiness, such hope, that they said, all those things that I wanted before, all the things the world has to offer, it's just not attractive anymore. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Aquinas says, and he's contrasted between two thinkers I want to put in between this morning. Aristotle believed that you could be fully happy in this life. He believed if you live a virtuous life, if you become a good person, you could be completely happy. And I don't think it's true. Right? If, if you live a good life, you are going to find some happiness, but not complete happiness. Right? You're not going to find that all the way. Even the, even the people who are the best people on earth, they still want more. They still hunger. They say, Lord, there's something in my heart that longs for a deeper love, a deeper happiness, a greater fulfillment. So Aristotle said that. St. Augustine says, and he, you know, he's my favorite saint. He was probably melancholic like me. And Augustine's like, you'll never find happiness in this life. He's like, only in heaven, right? And I'm like, oh, I love you, Augustine. You get me, Right? <laughs> And in the middle, I think, though, Aquinas is right. Aquinas says, you can have a real happiness in this life. Real happiness. But not the fullness. The fullness is only when you're in the presence of the supreme good. In the presence of God. And St. Paul says that today. And I won't read it to you, but the rest of our passage today, St. Paul talks about how he was on his way, he's, he is on his way to finding that perfect fulfillment in Christ. Is this your life? And I want to invite you to this. We get used to Christianity. We get used to good things. I always think of those of you who have good marriages, right? It can be an amazing, incredible blessing, and you get used to it. Renew your heart today. Joy is the presence. It's the movement of the soul when you have the possession of something good. Brothers and sisters, you have, you possess the best thing that exists. Right? The God who created light, who conquered death, that God loves you. Not just us, but you. 
He suffered for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. If that's true, what if that's really true? Right, and we walk around and I'm like, we're like depressed. I'm like, I had too many appointments this week, God. Right? Or like, you're like, traffic was terrible. I didn't get enough sleep. If you know what you have, you will be joyful. St. Paul is in prison. And he's filled with joy. So I want to leave you with this. The last thing this morning is that Scripture scholars will say there's one passage in the Gospels very similar to this. It's in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 13, I think it's verse 41, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who found a treasure buried in a field. Do you see your faith that way? Was your faith something that is necessary and you better do it, it's just the right thing to do? Or is your faith, Lord, I have found joy. Right? There's this hidden treasure that I found that people don't seem to see, but it has, it has brought me tremendous joy. So in Matthew 13, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a man found hidden in a field. And he says, with joy, he highlights that. With joy, that man went and he sold all that he had and bought that field. One of the marks of someone who has really found Christ is they don't care if they lose all things. They found such joy, they have found such happiness, right? This is why, right, this is why people become priests. Doesn't make sense logically, but they have found a joy. They say, I'll do anything for that. And they don't count the cost of other things. Right? If you find that treasure of Christ, you should lose something. You should lose friendships. Right? You should lose your desire for worldly goods. Because you found that treasure in the field. Jesus, today, Lord, you are my joy. Jesus, you are my joy. Not our new church not my car, not my possessions, not my rest, not my status. Jesus, you are my joy.